Before I get to my next guest, Mr. Ben Wright, I want to give a shout out to a few of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Finn Cycles. It's time to rethink golf. The game is at a tipping point. The young people we need in the game don't have four and a half hours to spend out on the course. Pairing Finn Cycles with a desire to play ready golf can cut playing time in half because all golfers go directly to their own golf ball. Plus, it's tons of fun. Go online to finscooters.com and click on Find a Finn for a course that has them near you. I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Golf Pride. Did you know that Golf Pride lets you rep your favorite team while also using the number one grip in golf? Your team, your grip, MCC Hybrid Grips, the number one grip series worldwide. Features an exclusive brush cotton cord in the upper hand for all-weather performance with premium rubber in the lower hand for added feel. The new MCC Team Series is available in a variety of new color combinations so you can rep your favorite team out on the course. Available in standard and midsize. Check it out online by going to golfpride.com. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. All right, now back with me is one of my all-time favorite guests, Mr. Ben Wright. It's always an honor for me to have him on the show because, quite frankly, in my opinion, he's the best broadcaster in golf history. The way he painted the scenes for us and put an exclamation point on the action was always spot on. Who can forget the outstanding job he did at the Masters every year? And his phrase, that'll be evil music ringing in Nicholas's ears in 1975. And I always like to remind people that it was Ben Wright who used the phrase, yes, sir, to put an exclamation point on Jack Nicholas's eagle putt on the 15th hole during the final round of the 1986 Masters. And he used that phrase, two holes, and about 20 minutes before Vern Lundquist used it again following Nicholas's birdie putt on 17. But Mr. Wright put his stamp all over the history of the Masters Tournament and golf broadcasting for nearly three decades, and it's always an honor to have him back with me on Next on the Tee. Good evening, Mr. Wright. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. All right, now back with me here on Next on the Tee is another one of my all-time favorite guests, and that's Mr. Ben Wright. It's always an honor for me to have him on the show because, quite frankly, in my mind, He's the best broadcaster in golf history. The way he painted scenes for all of us and put the exclamation points on the action that we were watching is just was all spot on and was all wonderful. Um, every year that he comes back on, there's a couple of things that uh, I like to remind everybody of. You know, we know about the 86 Masters and we know about Yes, Sir, right? By, you know, Vern Lundquist put that out there. But folks, make no mistake. Mr. Ben Wright used that phrase to put an exclamation point on Jack Nicholas's eagle putt on the 15th hole during the final round, and he did it 20 minutes before Vern Lundquist used it again when Nicholas makes the birdie putt on 17. Uh, Mr. Wright has put his stamp all over the history of the Masters Tournament and golf broadcasting for nearly three decades, and it's my ex- extreme honor to have him back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Good evening, Mr. Wright. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. I'm um totally delighted, Chris. And I I don't know the gentleman who was on before me. I, he referred to me as a peon. I'm not sure <laughs> what that means. <laughs> it's Matthew Lawrence, and I'll be glad to give you his phone number and address when we're done. 
<laughs> Anyhow, I agree with a great deal of what he said. I was amazed. It was like I was talking. You know, he really hit a lot of nails on the head, yeah, Chris. Uh, I, you know, we don't, we won't mention the, the person who is a, a formidable cheat. And, uh, I, I am, I am similarly upset that he's not being drummed out of the game by now. But, yeah. Uh, why do you think that is, Mr. Wright? How, why is he allowed to get away with the things that he has gotten away with? I'm, I'm, I'm with you and I'm with Matthew. I don't understand why the tour hasn't, uh, formally disciplined him. It seems like at all. Well, they, they don't discipline anything. I mean, that slow play has been a cancer on the game for so darn long. I mean, I was writing about slow play uh, when I went to see Bobby Jones on his deathbed, for God's sake, and that was 1971. And nothing has been done about it, Chris. Now, why do we expect them to do anything? It's, 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 it is a total disgrace, however. You know, I happen to have seen the man in question when he was a student at Augusta State and they played at Cliffs Valley of course I designed and uh, the, the people in his team and uh, his contacts uh, around warned me to be careful of him because I was not to leave anything Valuable around. Um, you know, what a terrible indictment of a young man. Wow. Mr. Ray, let, I want to talk about the Masters tournament and, and your time, uh, broadcasting it, but I, I really want to kind of get your perspective for what happened behind the camera. When you guys would go in and start to prepare for the tournament, you know, whatever year it might have been, all the years that you were there, was there, you yes. know, was there something that went on that, you know, Augusta National would pull you guys aside to remind you, you know, hey, here's how we want the broadcast to go. You know, be cautious. Yes. We don't want you to say this. Don't use these adjectives, all of that sort of thing. Yes, we were summoned to a meeting, um, in fact, in the butler cabin. And in my time, it was a gentleman from. San Francisco, Bill Kerr, who was a stockbroker, and um, he uh, would tell us that we were not to mention money, we were not to mention the names of the celebrities connected with the tournament. So, if you wanted to mention, like I did, Fozzie Zella, before he won the Masters in 1979, had won uh, the Andy Williams, uh, you know, in San Diego. No, no, no. You had to say Fauzi Zella won in San Diego earlier in the year. 
you couldn't mention those guys. Hey, you know, it added to um, the pressure that you that you experienced there. And of course, I got into a load of trouble uh, when I called Lee Elder the first black golfer to appear at Augusta National, having won the Houston Open the previous year. Um, I, I called him the leading black golfer, and I was told, no, you've got to call him the leading golfer of his race, which was, you know, I thought, <laughs> splitting hairs, to say the least. But, you you know, you had to realize that this is a very special place, and they're going to keep it a special place. And in a certain way now, I look back and I think all power to them. You know, and of course, I, I warned Gary McCord, my friend and colleague, that he should watch his P's and Q's, and uh, he blew it with the bikini wax and body bags uh, that he talked about, and um, was banned, of course. And many, many years earlier, my great friend and colleague Jack Whitaker was banned uh, for supposedly ever for calling the uh, patrons a mob as they charged up the 18th hole. And, you know, there's something to be said for that. Uh, I love Jack. He was a truly erudite gentleman. And um, yet it was crazy for he to use the word mob. That was not at all pleasant and quite unnecessary. And, um, you know, I, there's, there's something to be said in these day, in this day and age where practically anything goes for some kind of discipline. And, um, I, I applaud the masters for that. Mr. Ray, you mentioned Lee Elder. And we know, you know, he's joining Mr. Player and Mr. Nicholas this year for the ceremonial tee shot. And as you mentioned, you're the first African-American player to play in the tournament, which uh, took place in 1975. But he did so in the face mm -hmm. of a lot of hostility and death threats. And you were obviously there, like you mentioned, a part of the broadcast team at that time. Was there a sense of apprehension in the air because of the threats against them and that something, you know, terrible could take place? No, I I honestly didn't feel it, Chris. I I felt the reverse. I felt that everybody felt it was only right and next for a black man to appear in the event. And it was a long time coming. And no, I I never felt there was any danger whatsoever. In fact, the reverse. And Mr. Wright, I want to talk about your dear friend, Frank Turkinian, who you worked for for many years. And for those that don't know, Frank was the executive producer for CBS's golf coverage for almost 40 years. Talk about yeah. him and the expectations that he laid out for you and your peers when you guys were getting ready to broadcast an event like the Masters. 
he was the thing that obsessed Frank more than anything else was people talking too much. And he would say on literally hundreds of occasions, shut the something up and let it play. And, um, you know, when I first looked back and saw the last day of the 1986 Masters and Nicholas's incredible triumph, I was watching in the home of a, a club pro from Connecticut, John Noel, John Noel Bilski, a real good friend of mine. And he said to me, he sat me down with a glass of Malbec, uh, which his wife, who was a flight attendant, uh, used to come home from uh, Argentina fully equipped with Malbec, which I liked very much. And put me with this glass. And he asked me afterwards, what was your first and lasting impression? of this compared to today. And I said, John, the long periods of silence. And I can imagine uh, only too well how Frank would be saying, shut the something up and let it play. And that was the most extraordinary experience for me, to hear so much silence. Whereas today, there's no silence at all. It's like a radio show for the blind, as I've said uh, many times, you know, but I, I really mean it. And Mr. Wright, I read a story that said he considered the exchanges between you on the 15th hole and Henry Longhurst on the 16th hole, particularly at the 75 Masters, as one of the best storytelling moments in sports television. He also told Sports Illustrated that the reason he hired experienced writers like you and Mr. Longhurst was to put the proper words to the pictures. He wanted storytellers, and you guys were both great at that. That's a heck of a compliment. Yes, it was a tremendous compliment. And um, uh, you know something? When you started talking about it, Chris, the hair stood out on the back of my neck. When I remember that exchange with Henry, which was really uh, a lot of fun. <laughs> Speaking of that, and, and uh, Matthew talked about this a little bit in the last segment. I think Owen touched on it as well. But for most people listening today, they don't remember. But the television broadcast of the Masters didn't always include all four days. And it didn't even include all 18 holes. And the final round, when CBS first started broadcasting the event, goes back to 1956. I mean, at that time, people only saw the last four holes. And I certainly remember the broadcast not starting until the back nine on Sunday. What do you remember about those early broadcasts before you know, we got to see what the whole golf course even looked like? Well, when I joined in uh, 1973, Tommy Aaron, yeah. Um, we did six holes, the last six holes, and only on Saturday and Sunday. And we rehearsed 
Friday, and occasionally, if Frank was uh, in a brutal kind of mood, we'd uh, rehearse Thursday as well. But it was two days, and only six holes. And when I left, you know, after 1995 and Crenshaw, um, you, you know, it, it was all 18 holes, and I had um, the seventh hole, as a matter of fact, which I believe they've absolutely destroyed um, in trying to tiger-proof or whatever you like to call the thing they've done. Um, they made a perfect drive and short on into a perfectly imperfect drive and sometimes middle on. I mean, sevens and sixes maybe. And uh, that is even, even despite the incredible equipment that they're playing with. Today, compared to what they were playing with in my early days, persimmon and a bladder ball. And you could cut that bladder ball as easily as you could cut through a, a pad of butter. <laughs> but you could shape it, Chris. You could shape it. That was the thing. There was so much more shot-making ability from the point of view of shaping shots uh, to to deal with the situation at hand. It was a different game. And um, I, I applaud, in a funny kind of way, Bryson DeChambeau, but I hope that he falls flat on his face. You know, because I think, uh, despite his incredible physical talent and his mental acuity, he's done more to destroy the game, probably, than anybody. Let's take that a, a step further, because it's one of the things that I was talking with Owen Brown at the top of the show about is the loss of the loss of artistry in the game, trying yes. to be creative about how to hit his shots. Have, have we lost the artistry and some of the beauty of the game by making the ball go straighter, further, and all that sort of thing? So you don't have to worry about trying to be creative with your shot. Totally. We've destroyed the game. A combination of people like DeShambo and the manufacturers have destroyed the artistry of the game, as you call it. And, and it's a Total tragedy to me as an old fuddy duddy, but I did enjoy great shot making ability. And I, you know, it, it, that puts me in, um, in memory of uh, Bubba Watts. I mean, there was a man who shaped shots when he won, but he's fallen on hard times. And uh, he's fallen on the hard times because you don't need to do that. Just hit it as hard as you can. Swing at 200 miles an hour and then go find it. I mean, DeShambo 
of Wingfoot. I mean, it was ridiculous because he, he, boy, he didn't hit the half the fairways, but he was so strong, he just gouged it out of even the Wingfoot rough. And I was an overseas member there, and I know, you know how tough that can be. And I remember my good friend Tony Jackson. Um, in 1974, um, he uh, got tangled in the rough at the first hole at the U.S. Open of 1974 at Wingfoot. Took a seven and was no, no longer involved, you know. And, uh, Krusty Shambo was just acted on the Made power Mr. I want to ask you about Clifford Robert. He had a reputation as a pretty hard man, very strict and uh, in enforcing the rules at Augusta National. I read, you know, back then that he wouldn't allow players during a practice round to play more than one ball. And if he if you didn't, he heard it, heard about it. He'd kick you off the course. I think he actually did that to Bernard Longer way back in the day. But um your your memories of Clifford Roberts and were there legendary stuff that you heard about that Mr. Roberts would do uh, for guys that uh, broke some rules that uh, came upon him and they found out about it and then took some swift action to to show them why, why the well, rules were in know, place? You no, know, Chris, I was absolutely frightened to death almost um, because I, um, Bill McPhail was then head of uh, CBS TV Sports, uh, told me I could broadcast the Masters if uh, Clifford Roberts approved of me. And uh, I knew all the stories about Mr. Roberts, and I never met him. And I was dragged down to his cottage, and I think I've told you the story before. He said... Um, you like tea, boy, like most of you English? And I said, yes, sir. And he made me drink tea. He said, he said uh, drink some tea out of Augusta National, finest China. So I did. I burned myself. And he said, um, talk to me, boy. And I said, well, what would you like me to talk about, Mr. Rollins? He said, I don't care. Talk to me. And I started rambling on about my mediocre career. And he stopped me before two minutes were up and said, that's enough. And I thought, I'd blown it. I thought I must have said something that <laughs> angered him. And he said, you want to know why I stopped you so soon? And I said, yes, sir, please, uh, thinking I'd blown it. And he said, um, Phil brought in a Scotsman last year called Bob Ferrier. His father was wee Bobby Ferrier, who played soccer for Scotland. And I'd never understood. Neffing word. He said, 
all four days. But you'll do. Have a good week. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's a great story. That's the end of that one. And I, <laughs> I've, got, I've got to tell you, Chris, I owe Mr. Roberts the greatest gratitude because he told uh, McPhail after I'd made my debut at 14 in 73 that I should be moved to a more prominent position. And I had the 15th hole for the next 26 years. And so I, I can see nothing but um, total wonderful uh, perspicacity on Mr. Roberts' behalf. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Wright, I want to get your thought on a on a couple of players heading into this year's tournament, starting with Rory McIlroy. We know that Rory's started working with Pete Cowan again, and but there's always a mountain of pressure on Rory to complete the career Grand Slam at Augusta National, and he certainly had had his problems trying to trying to do it. I mean, he has been right there the last several years. I mean, top tens and six of the last seven years. Is this the year that that he gets it done? Or does he still have too much work to do with his swing before he's going to be ready to win it? That's the question, really, isn't it, Chris? Whether Pete Carroll has worked his magic in such a short time, I very much doubt it. But I cannot credit McElroy, who I love dearly, because he was once my caddy, and I... I love the boy dearly, but why would he try and outdo the Shambo? Why would he do that when he was a brilliant long driver? He didn't need to. He needed to be tightening up his game from a hundred yards in, and he's putting, which is it is that area of the game. That has let him down, and not his, not his driving, until he tried to, to uh, beat the Shambo at his own game, which was totally ludicrous. But I think because he has very few expectations, he could do quite well. But you know, I've said that so many times. And so many times he's done something totally stupid that we <laughs> I wonder whether his golf brain is not a little addled, to say the least. So you mentioned he caddied for you, so that begs the question, when was that? Say then I'm sorry. I missed you. You uh, you mentioned that Rory McIlroy was your caddy once upon a time. When was that? Oh, many many years ago. Um, I I showed up at Royal Port Rush with a bunch of lovely American tourists, and we um, reported for duty uh, very early on Monday morning, and it was colder than. The Arctic. And, um, I, I, we 
Zeta Pro, Di Stevenson, who was a Welsh, believe it or not. And I said, Di, you got caddies for all my boys? And he said, of course we have. And we got a special one for you. And, of course, he summoned Rory McIlroy, who had just won the club championship uh, on the Saturday and Sunday with rounds of 70 and 71. And he shouted roars. And uh, this little wave came in. And I said, well, get yourself a pull card, Sonny. And he said to me, there's no damn gold bag on this green earth, Mr. Wright. Give me yours. And I was amazed. And he was such a joy. He clubbed me and read every part. And I uh, finished with a birdie on the, 18, the old 18th for 79. Despite having started bogey, double bogey, when I was still freezing. And uh, I shall never forget it. And I gave him a 50-pound note, which was strictly illegal. But um, he said he was going to take it home to his mum and dad because they had made so many sacrifices for him. And uh, I've loved him ever since. Just a couple more before I let you go, Mr. Wright. So um, Lee Westwood is a guy that might be coming up on his best last chance to win a Masters or win a major for that matter. He's just a couple of weeks shy of turning 48 years old, and he's played pretty well. A couple of second-place finishes. I wish he would have... Um, sort of pressed the matter a couple of times instead of what appeared to be settling for second place. Your thoughts on Lee Westwood and his chances to win? Um, I, w- I wouldn't put them very highly. Um, you know, okay, they they compare him to Nicholas at the age of 46. But Nicholas had already won. <laughs> Goodness me. There is so many majors. These won nothing. But uh, I, you know, I would dearly love for him to do it. But I really don't give him any chance at all. I think he can finish high, but I don't think he's going to be a master champion. So who do you who do you like? Who do you think is going to be fighting it out come uh, late Saturday, uh, late Sunday afternoon? Well, I like Justin Thomas. I like obviously kind of like Dustin Johnson. Um, I if he's fit, um, you know, Brooks Kepka uh, can, can never done away with. But I really. Share my previous your 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 previous guest Matthew. Um, I I really think Jordan Speed can do it. Well, I hope you're right because I'm I'm rooting hard for Jordan too. 
That's right. You <laughs> mentioned your golf course at the top of our, our time together, Cliff Valley. Talk about uh, for for our folks that may not be aware that you designed a beautiful golf course out there in Travelers Rest, South Carolina. Talk about it. Well, you know, the good news is that I tried to make it user-friendly, and it seems to have been successful in that respect because everybody loves it because it's easy to play, and they want to come back time and again. But on the other hand, the BMW Pro, uh, on the Corn Ferry Tournament, have uh, voted it the best course they play on their tour. So wow. that, that gives me huge pleasure. No doubt. That's fantastic. Mr. Wright, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. Uh, like I said at the top, and I mean it sincerely every single time, that I get to spend time with you. It's an honor and a privilege. And uh, I certainly hope we get that same privilege again here again soon. Well, you better get in pretty soon. You know, Chris, I'm 88 and a half, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, I know. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. And I love talking to you. It's uh, one of the rare pleasures in my duty. <laughs> I thank you for that very much. It means a great deal to me, just like you do. Mr. Wright, take care. <laughs> Stay safe up there. And uh, like I say, hopefully we get together again soon. Thank you very much, indeed, Chris. Thank you, Mr. Wright. Folks, that's the great Ben Wright. And um, it just doesn't get any better than the show tonight, than, in my opinion. Olin Brown, Matthew Lawrence, Mr. Ben Wright. You want to talk about a guy that uh, spent years broadcasting, not just obviously at Augusta National, but but uh, golf tournaments, you know, week in and week out. Um, his stamp on the history of golf by the way that he painted that picture of Frank Turkinian, you know, guiding the way a little bit. But it's Mr. Wright's knowledge. It's the way that he painted the pictures for us. And it was the way that he knew when to say something. And I guess like Mr. Chikinian told him, when not to say something. But please, make no mistake. Go back and watch the 86 Masters. And go watch Jack Nicklaus make that putt on 15 for Eagle to get himself really in the in the forefront of that tournament. And then go start, you know, work your way backwards. I mean, the job he did in 78 when, when his good friend Gary Player won. And again, did it obviously again in, in previous to that 74. But that 1975 call of the what to me is the greatest Masters ever. I mean, I, I you know, I as you all know, I'm a huge Jack Nicklaus fan. I'm a huge Gary Player fan, and their wins are the most significant personally to me. And so many of us obviously love what Jack did in 1986. But when you want to talk about a duel and what it was like back in 1975 with Tom Tom Weiskopf and and Johnny Miller. Just a, it was a guy that just wouldn't go away, and the duel that, or not duel, but the 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 battle that the three of them waged, and that 1975 Masters, and the way that Mr. Wright and then Henry Longhurst called that, you know, those events on 15 when all you know all three of them came through, 
unbelievable. Uh, even Augusta National, and you can go Google this or go look it up on YouTube. Even Augusta National ranks that uh, that uh, that call in '75 as one of the best in Masters history, and that's why Frank Turkinian said what he did about you know about that call between he and uh, Henry Longhurst. So um, huge honor, spend time with Ben Wright. He's a uh, he's a wonderful human being. For those of you that don't know him. Um, I couldn't tell you how great that man is and to uh, to be able to communicate with him off the air is uh, another tremendous privilege uh, that warms my heart every single time. Anytime that I have called or texted him, he has been as gracious and as kind as you would hope a legend in anything uh, would possibly be. Ben Wright lives up to the notion that you would hope that he would be like, you know, as a sort of semi-broadcaster and, and someone doing this podcast. Um, when you first approach a gentleman like Ben Wright, it comes with a bit of trepidation because he's a legend. Uh, and how kind and how generous he has been to me over the years, unmatched. And uh, I couldn't be more thankful or privileged to have him as a part of this show as often as I have. And tonight was show number 19 that he's joined me. So huge thank you to him. All right, folks, time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Tee. My sincere thanks again to Alden Brown, Matthew Lawrence, and Ben Wright for joining me tonight. Please check out our website, nextonthetee.net, to keep up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. And scheduled to join me next week are our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry, Matthew's twin brother and another great friend of the show, Mitch Lawrence, will be back, as will one of the top PGA professionals in the state of New Jersey and anywhere else for that matter, and that's long-lost cousin John Mascari. So we're going to have a lot of fun next week. I hope you'll come back and be a part of the show with me. Folks, you can stream the show as a podcast on a number of great sites and apps like Podcast.co, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audioboom, Player.fm. Folks, if you have a favorite podcasting site, just type in next on the T in the search bar. I'm pretty sure we're probably going to be on it. And if you enjoy this show, folks, please do me a favor and go online to podcastmagazine.com and vote for the show in their Hot 50 list. When you're on their site, click on Hot 50 at the top and you're going to get a drop down list and Hot 50 voting will come up and click on that and just type in the name of the show next on the T and my name, Chris Mascaro. I'd really appreciate your support. Folks, thanks again for choosing to listen to the show tonight. I really appreciate the fact that you continue to make Next on the Tee a part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.